0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthopechurch. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, church. Grab a Bible. If you have one, turn to Psalm 30. Yes, my name is Cody. one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly. And I love to do so. And we're going to continue in our series through uh, a few psalms. Uh, well, we walked through 11 of these this summer. If uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one and turn. Uh, there should be in front of you. And turn to page 486. As we start this morning, I, I don't know if you remember, for those of you who have kids, uh, we're, we're still teaching Graham to say thank you. And oftentimes he will be... Uh, shy, he will be kind of worried about who he's saying thank you to, and uh, he he says it really quiet. He gets really quiet, and he'll say thank you, and you can't you can't hear him. And we're trying to teach him say, hey, when uh, when someone gives you something or whenever uh, you are thankful, you say, hey, thank you. Uh, oftentimes, uh, when we watch Graham do this, I think about our own lives, where you know, there are, do we really know? we really think about being thankful for what God has done. Often times we go about our lives and we don't even recognize that it's God who is working. He is the one who is helping. He's the one who's providing. And oftentimes we don't think about thanking Him for what He does. And so as a, for a question I think for us this morning would be, do we, do you, find it difficult to be thankful and express that thankfulness to God? Do you find it difficult to even find circumstances that you are thankful for? You, you might be in a season of difficulty, of trial, of sickness. But do you recognize the things in front of you that you are to be thankful for? as we walk through psalm 30 this morning our prayer my prayer for us is that we become a people who express being thankful in a multitude of ways and so as you walk as we walk through the text here's what we're going to see david sings of god's deliverance and thanksgiving as he refocuses on god's presence and if you're a disciple today Uh, we talk about making disciples, mature disciples, people who are walking faithfully with God. And thankfulness is an aspect of what it means to be growing in maturity, to be growing in thankfulness. So what should we do today? What should we know? Thanksgiving must be based on God and not our feelings or our circumstances. It's easy to come to God it's easy to come to Him and thank Him for all the good things that we have. It's easy for us to recognize this is great and this is going well, but there are often times where we are struggling, where we are trying to fight sin, and we are in hardship or difficulty, and we still must, our thanksgiving must be based on God. And we must not be fooled by our own feelings or our own feelings circumstances. So when we come to Psalm 30, uh, what the psalm is uh, what you would call a chiasm. It is something uh, that makes a point through symmetry. Uh, so you're going to see mul- the same thing said in multiple ways. And this morning what I want to do is what happens is the first part of the psalm and the last part of the psalm are saying the same similar things. And you have uh, two sections kind of in the middle that are saying the same thing. And really, we find our main thrust, our main point in the passage in the middle of the Psalm, which is 6, 7, and 8. And mainly, verse 7 is the thrust of what David is trying to get after. And so as we walk through the text, you're going to see uh, these three truths this morning that are that are focused, that are outlined in the same way. And so we're gonna, you, you will see in this first point, this first. Truth that we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and also verses 11 and 12. So, look there at verse 1. I want to show you these truths and we're going to start with this one. Grateful disciples declare God's praise. Disciples, we should praise God for what He has done. Look there at verse 1. I'll exalt you, Lord. Now, the right, the right response for those who have encountered God is... To exalt Him. The exaltation comes from God's saving acts. Israel would have exalted God because He had saved them, because they had experienced Him in multiple ways. They had seen Him work. If you think about with Israel leaving Egypt and all the ways that He He showed how powerful He was, they experienced Him when they fled Egypt. So they should have rightly exalted Him. Now, what does exaltation mean? Look like. There's many things that we could do, but at its most simplest form, exaltation comes from praise. It comes in the form of praise. And is our religion, is Christianity not a religion of praise? We just took half of our time together to sing praises to God. Should we not praise God for what He's done? Should this praise not be an outworking or overflowing of our own joy? Should we not come on Sunday morning and be happy and joyful to exalt God for who He is? I think we can often come here and go through the motions. We may come to a place, you may have experienced churches in which you come, and nobody really seems to be happy. No one seems to be joyful. That may be because they have forgotten. we have forgotten that our, one of our main roles is to exalt God for who He is. We must find ways to be intentional to look at what God is doing and what God does, so that we may exalt Him joyfully. Now, David's going to list some reasons why he's praising God. Look there, at verse uh, at the, the middle of verse one: "Because you have lifted me up, I have not allowed my you have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me, Lord my God. I cried to you for help, and you healed me, Lord. You brought me up from Sheol; you spared me from." from among those going down to the pit. David has a series of events that that are causing him to praise God. This victory over his enemies and being healed from sickness. For David, it was often, well at least before he was king, he would find himself in situations that were life-threatening. In David's time, war was much more common and sickness was much more of a life-threatening event. And it, could be, it can be hard for us to identify with David because we don't live in similar situations, do we? Life-threatening sicknesses are at least less likely. And even when they are, we can treat them with medicine and with doctors. For us, it takes a much larger or much devastating or dangerous disease to actually cause us to be rattled. And up until the last couple months, months, uh, for us, war wasn't even on our minds. But for David, these were constant realities that he recognized. These were constant things in front of him. And these were constant ways in which God would work for him. It can be easy for us to go about our day and to miss or to be oblivious to the ways in which God is working. We have been fooled into believing that we don't need God, and we have been fooled into believing that we are in control. This lack of focus enables entitlement in our lives that we don't see and we don't watch how God is working. So what can we do to actually curb this this form of entitlement? How can we be thankful to God? Well, first of all, we have to be intentional. You have to look at your week, look at your day, and say, how has God provided today? How has God worked today in a way that I can thank him for or maybe i heard someone say this one time that the essence of christianity is not to get up and think about all the things we can do but to get up and to ask god there i have to have you work today me trusting you and me thanking you is dependent on you working and so we need to be intentional but also then we need to remember what god has done we need to write down the things that he has done in our lives If all of us were to think about the things that He has done, that would produce gratefulness in our lives. But oftentimes we forget. Oftentimes we do not remember all the things that God has done. May we write them down. May we remember them so that we become thankful that our hearts are changed from being entitled to being grateful. Now look what David does. Look at verse 4. Sing to the Lord, you His faithful ones, and praise His holy name. The correct response to the acts of God is to praise Him, and David then commands God's faithful ones, that is God's saints, to praise His holy name. They have the ability to praise God first and foremost because He has revealed Himself as Yahweh the Lord. Right, so Israel had a special relationship with God that He revealed His name to them, a covenant name that says He will be their God and they will be His people. His name reminds them of the covenant promise that He had made. His name reminded them of what they've done in Him, what they have because of Him. His name reminds them of who He is and what He will do. And so they can praise God's holy name, that is Yahweh, because of who He is. And these faithful ones, God's saints because of His work, right? God calls out Israel. He doesn't say to them, I chose you because you're awesome. I chose you because I wanted to choose you. In fact, they were the smallest of nations and He still chose them. And they should sing uh, praises, they should play music, and they should praise. It's understood uh, should be as understood as giving thanks to God for what He has done. And this is most likely in the context of the temple. So David is saying, with the gathered people of Israel, sing to God in His temple. God's people have come together to give thanks and to corporately praise Him. They've come together to celebrate what God has done. That was what the temple was for. To come and experience God and to come and be with God and to exalt Him, praise Him, thank Him, and then celebrate all that God has done for them. But we, we don't have that, do we? We don't have to come to this room to only sing praises or thank God. We, in Christ, don't have a physical temple. We are now being built up into a a temple, as Paul would say in Ephesians 2, that we have forgiveness in Christ. We have been built up in Christ and he builds us to be his dwelling place so we no matter where we are if we are gathered we can corporately praise and thank him no matter where we are we can talk about what God has done we can remember what he has done now we try to do this corporately in multiple ways but it's specifically what we just did is pastor Ryan prayed for us But we must still continue to teach each other what Thanksgiving looks like. Again, because we have an entitled mentality that this is what we should have. This is what we get. And this mentality blinds us to God's work. So we must be people who praise God for what He has done. But also, we should be disciples who praise God forever. Look there at verse 11. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. When God's acts have been properly recorded and remembered, praise is the normal outcome. The heart must sing and give thanks for all that God has done. And that praise should be eternal praise. Often we think about heaven as we will be praising God forever. We're singing uh, all the time. That's not I don't think that's what heaven is going to be like. But we at least recognize that God will be praised forever. But we also think about that maybe that's only when God is going to be praised. No, we should think about God being eternally praised starting now. That we will praise Him forever. We will eternally give thanks to Him for what He's done in Christ. So shouldn't our praise start now? May we join eternally with those who will thank God forever. We don't have to wait. We can start now. We can see our lives as a way to say thank you to what God has done. And when we realize and notice what God is doing, His praise to go on for forever. That's what David is saying here in verse 12. I will not be silent. I will praise you forever. Gratitude and praise produce gladness even in the midst of difficulty. David knows that whether he was sick or at war, he knows he is able to praise God forever. Now where does this gratitude come from? Why does it bubble up in David into praise? Because he has experienced the deliverance of God. He has seen God's power at work. So look there back at verse 5. We're going to see the second truth this morning. Grateful disciples are delivered by God's power. We're going to see this in verse 5 and in verses 9 and 10. God has the power to produce joy in His people. Look there at verse 5. For His anger lasts only a moment, but His favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. The Bible is clear that God does get angry and angry over sin. The Bible's clear about that. But whether it's sin of God's people, sin against the vulnerable, or the rage of the world, God does not take sin lightly. But this divine anger and displeasure is not the final word. And praise God for that. David says his anger only lasts for a moment. And in comparison, his favor lasts for a lifetime. Right? His favor his love and his kindness and his mercy yes god may get angry but what is so great about him is that his love his favor lasts forever if you go back to exodus god would moses would say that god's anger his his judgment goes back to the third generation but his love goes on for thousands of generations that's what that's what david's getting at here and he picks up on this idea And when we we are confronted with the seriousness of our sin, we should rightly weep over it. We must understand the damage that it causes to us and to others and how it has separated us from God. We know that sin is in general has broken the world. And we read the consequences of that brokenness. If we look around the world, how can we not fall into this weeping? How can we not fall into the depths of sadness? If we looked at the world right now and looked at all the things that are going on, how could we not weep? How could we not see that God is broken over all of these things that we have been separated from Him? I think too that you, we weren't designed to take in, and because of technology now, we can see all of the brokenness at any point in time. And if we just turn the news on, if we turn on social media, then we can see it and we can begin to grow in despair because of it. We weren't meant to take on all of the world's brokenness at one time. The consequences of brokenness is suffering. Whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, the consequences of sin is brokenness that leads to suffering. But in this suffering, weeping doesn't have to be the last word. And in fact, it doesn't last in the face of an all-powerful, all-loving God who is able to bring joy to us. It's easy for us to miss what David's doing. He he talks about mourning, staying overnight, returning into joy. Some of us like to have people over. Some of you, you, you get really anxious about... You know, bringing people into your home, uh, you love people, but you just it's really hard for you to bring people into your home. Some of you love bringing people into your home. If you would ask my wife, I, I could have people in our house probably 22-7, seven, uh, seven days a week. I could probably do that, because I love having people in my home. But uh, we have to have good conversations about how often are we going to have people over, and when we're going to have people over. And there are times that we say, hey, this time is off limits. David is saying, you're having a guest in your home, this weeping, this mourning is in your home overnight, but it doesn't get to stay. That's what he says. David says that the tears can stay like a guest, but they have to leave in the morning. The tears of suffering will be resolved into morning shouts of joy when we recognize the power that God has to bring joy into our lives. And David, what David is saying is that we don't have to weigh our our current sufferings with the present reality of who God is. That it doesn't compare to who God is, what He's done, or what He's going to do. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this momentary suffering weighs very little in light of eternal glory. This momentary suffering, this momentary mourning, has nothing in comparison to what we will experience within eternal life with God. Life's troubles weigh very, very little. Against God's glory that we will experience, and Jesus, He gave an example of this in John 20. Sorry, John 16. Look at verse 20. Let me read it to you. He said, "Truly, I tell you, you weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers this suffering because of the joy." that a person has been born into this world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. Jesus uses the example of labor that even though there is pain and suffering, there will be a time when the the mother will rejoice because there's a new life that's been born. In the context, Jesus said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be taken away from you. And this will be suffering. This will be horrific. But I will come back to you. It will not last. This joy that God is able to provide is what dispels sorrow and weeping and mourning. And David has latched on to this. That he believes that God is worth every moment. But he also understands that God has has the power over death. Look there at verse 9. What gain is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. In the midst of the hardship that we may think even that death is close by, in the efforts to continue praise, God, David asked a good few rhetorical questions. David's main point is this. What good is my death? Can David praise God from the dead? And each rhetorical question receives a resounding no, right? David cannot praise Him in the dead, and the dust is not going to start praising God. And although our deaths may be justified because of sin, this does not bring God praise. David understands that God is the only one who has the power to deliver Him from the grave. This idea of the pit, or Sheol, back up at the top of the few verses. It is God's power which David seeks. He asks God to hear him. Be my helper. Listen to my plea. God receives the most praise from the effects of the Gospel. Although David did not get to experience this, David knew. David understood that God was the one who had the power over life and death. And we see the most beautiful description, the most beautiful declaration of power when God says, I'm going to send my own son into the world. He's going to die in your place and I'm going to raise him from the dead. And anyone who believes and trusts in Him will have eternal life. We experience God's power in one of the most beautiful ways in Christ. We experience Jesus in ways that David doesn't even get to understand. The Gospel is what produces this joy In us, because we see that God has the power over death. Now, when disciples are delivered by God's power, they might most clearly experience God's presence. So look there at verse 6, which brings us to our final truth this morning. Grateful disciples depend on God's presence. Grateful disciples depend on God's presence. The passage focuses our attention to these three verses. And particularly verse 7, as I told you earlier. We can be thankful for God's power and we can praise Him for all that He's done, but God's power and praise should lead us to desire God's presence. We must desire God's presence. Look at verse 6. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when You showed me favor, You made me stand like a strong mountain. When You hid Your face, I was terrified. Or I called to you, I sought favor from my Lord. Now verse six should be understood as an idiom. It's an expression that doesn't quite translate to our English language, that it could lose its meaning. You see, David is saying that he will not be shaken. His confidence is secure. but this security seems to be based on good times and good circumstances in David's life. This is a false sense. Of security this is false confidence but not on David's part per se but what he's putting his confidence in he believes that this confidence is sure and he says that he will never be shaken nothing could move him even nothing that it's something like a mountain he is strong and secure so what's the potential cause of this false confidence In the context of the psalm, and even the psalms before it, this is talking about communal, or Israel's praise in the temple. And potentially, David and others in in his time would have seen the temple, and they would place their confidence in the temple, and not to the God that's coming to dwell in the temple. And so you, you have this idea of the temple versus God's actual presence. Israel believed that as long as they had the temple... Which again is where God's presence will come to dwell. They would have God's blessing as long as this temple stands, and we will have blessing from God. We will be, we are sure and secure. And Jared Wilson, a commentator, said this: Israel thought it was enough to have the temple and to really offer sacrifice and worship in the name of Yahweh, but then the rest of her life was of little matter. She would have, she would live a compassionate, compassionless. Self-focused life of injustice and exploitation. She could worship other gods and yet stand in the temple and can be completely convinced of her, her invulnerability because of God's presence in the temple. They thought, since we have this temple, then we will forever be secure. We will never have to worry about anything. Instead of focusing their, their love and their commitment to the God that was actually in the temple. What are some false sources of confidence today? What are some of those things that if we really think about it, we we want to put our trust in, but they'll ultimately ultimately fail us? Let's start let's start really obviously. Money. Money. If we put our trust in it, what we're seeing right now, especially in our, our economy in the 20 in the year of 2022, that the economy is not doing very well. And if we put our, our money and our trust in in, in the, the economy, then we would think, hey, we're going to get something back. But now we're saying that no. There are times in which we, do, we will not receive that interest and there's times that we, our money will not be able to be secure for us. Money is a source of power at some level too and power will be wiped away in the face of Jesus when He stands before the world to judge it. This money will, will not be secure. Well, what about health? Some of us in the room have been really healthy most of our lives. A lot of us in the room have uh, great, we go to the doctor and we go in and out because it's great. But health will not always be there for us. Whether it's because we have a disease or sickness or we just get old. Health will not secure us. Let's take it a little further, spiritually speaking. What are some other false senses of of confidence and security? What about religious favor? We live in a country in which we have the wonderful opportunity to worship, no, no matter how we choose. That we can come here and we can worship Jesus the way that we believe that we should. And praise God for that. But we may not. We may not have that forever. We have brothers and sisters across the world who are suffering in places, they're praising God, worshiping worshiping Him in places that they are not supposed to. And just because we have favor now does not mean that we always will. And just because we have favor does not mean God is with us or for us. It also doesn't mean that if it ever goes away that God is still not present in our lives. And we must be very careful to equate the two. Maybe even a church building. Oftentimes, if we look back in history, folks would come together, they would rally together, they would build a church that would be a symbol of, of what God is doing in the community, much like this one. And oftentimes, people would think, since there's a church there, God's presence is there in the community. But if the people think that this is about what maybe something that has been built, or maybe something that is really not, doesn't actually hold God's presence. Because we know that if we as His people turn away, it doesn't matter how beautiful a building is. It doesn't matter how old the building is. It doesn't matter how grand the building is. If the people of God are not filled with His presence, then this building means nothing. And so may we never put our confidence in things that will fade away and be burned up or can pass from time to time or moment to moment. May we be people who place our confidence in the God who reigns above all of these things. And the question still remains, where does true confidence lie? In God Himself. This is what David means when he speaks of favor. This is the key to true security. That God Himself and nothing else, by security I mean dependence on God alone. And security is independent of any other circumstances. doesn't matter what, what happens. Does it matter who comes for us? Does it matter the, the health that we may not have? Does it matter if our money is thrown away? Does not matter if we're taken to prison because we worship God? It doesn't matter because our hope is only in God forever. And when we understand that, church, then we begin to understand that we need that presence of God. We need Him to work in mighty ways. And the beauty of this is That God's presence dispels all kinds of hardship. All kinds of hardship. But notice, though, notice David's attitude halfway through verse 7. This false sense of security is eroded. How? In the prospect of God's absence. David realized the true fact of what God's absence would mean for him. Look, the CSB says terror. He was terrified. He was scared out of his mind when he thought that God was not there. The world has a notion right now that you have all the answers. Do what you want to do. That you have all the authority. But that's actually, if we really think about it, a very terrifying prospect. It's very terrifying... To think that you can handle all the pressures of life. That everything is dependent on you. That you can decide for yourself everything in the world. That's actually really scary. We've been fooled into believing that no, it's better for us to have that. We've been told that it's better for you to be the one that makes all the decisions. But what kind of anxiety does that bring to our lives? if this has been the pervading cultural idea for the last couple of decades, we can see why the rates of anxiety and depression are skyrocketing. Because we are not people who trust and depend on God's presence and we want what we want. But here's the deal. David, has seen, he is seeing awareness versus reality. David believes that God is distant. At least he feels that way. He thinks that God is not close by. But this awareness is not reality. It's not the truth. This psalm shows us that our feelings, our perceptions, or otherwise can deceive us about the truth. This is why we must depend on God's presence and not our own. Our faith must be based on fact. The truth revealed in God's Bible that we recognize Him. And often we respond to and in our feelings or circumstances. We hear phrases like, have more faith. It's not about your faith. It's not about your faith or my faith. It's about Christ and Him inside of us. We must not base God's presence or or what we believe about God's presence because we think or we feel something. They're good and right, and God has given us the ability to do those things. But they must not be the sole authority to show us about our relationship with God. If you have confessed with your mouth and believed that God has raised Jesus from the grave, you will be saved. You will have a relationship with God. That is truth. That is fact. And may our feelings or our circumstances never persuade us otherwise. Because then we may be tempted to leave, to fall away from Him. Our faith must be based in Christ and nothing else. Not on me. Not not on what I can do. Not on what I think about myself. Not about what I believe. But based on Christ and His gospel alone. This is what the Apostle Paul came to understand. Philippians 4, this is what he writes. I don't say this out of need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. I know how to make do with little. And I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter comes. It doesn't matter what kind of sickness comes. It doesn't matter what kind of life we have. It doesn't matter. Paul understands that there is confidence in Christ. There's confidence in the one who has given his life for us and been raised from the dead. It doesn't matter what is in front of us or behind us. We can find contentment. What Paul is saying is we can trust in God's presence in our lives in Christ that we can have confidence in him and in in reality the most nearness the most sweetest form of God's presence may be when things are actually tough we may most clearly understand how great and beautiful God is when we recognize him in the midst of suffering or difficulty this is what Paul understood. That whether I have a lot or I have a little, or whether I'm hurting, or I'm in joy, Christ is enough for me. And it's only in Christ. That when we understand that God is near, even in the most painful of circumstances, that worldly stability or certainty fades away and the Gospel reigns true in our lives. Thanksgiving must be based on God. It must be. And as disciples, we can declare God's praise, we can be delivered by God's power, and we can depend on God's presence. Our gratitude must be based on God and nothing else. Our confidence is in nothing other than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No matter what our world does, no matter what happens here, no matter what happens in our own personal lives, our confidence is only in the God who sent His own Son into the world to die for you and me. Because God went to every length to reconcile Himself to you. And we can trust Him in that. Pray with me. God, we ask You today to remind us of who You are. To remind us that we are called to praise You because of all that You've done. Would You remind us today of the ways in which we can praise You? Will You remind us? Will You show us how powerful You really are? Will You help us remember God, may we be a people who desire Your presence more than anything else. May we desire You more than the effects that You provide, more than the blessing that You provide, or more than uh, anything in this world. May we desire You. Because we do live in a broken world, in a world that can overwhelm us if we let it. But will You And your presence strengthen us today. God, we love you and we need you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.